Hi, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, my voice cracked. Hey, guys. Uh, no, I'll someone do, else do it. I'll do it. <laughs> hi, sisters. Hi, sisters. Uh, hi, everybody. It's Biz, and I'm with Alexi and Sam. And today we have a holiday episode for you, as it is the holiday season. So right around the corner. And we wanted to treat you and ourselves to a, a bit of holiday cheer. Um, uh, yeah. So today's episode honestly might be a little sketchy because we're trying to define a concept that doesn't really have a name to it yet. But I think we've decided on sugar cookie consumerism. And you're probably wondering, like, what does that mean? And we're going to tell you because we kind of made it up. <laughs> well, we we made up the word, but it's definitely an aesthetic and like thing that's happening online right now with, of course, you guessed it, like young women. Um, how do we want to define this? Do we want to define it by this list defining characteristics that I wrote at the top? I think so. It's some definitely something that everyone will recognize. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the most basic definition would be like, imagine you are like a middle school girl in the 2010s and you're going to the mall and uh, what would you go there to do? And what would you gravitate towards? If you're not pumpkin emo, you have to be a girly yeah. girl. Yeah. You're not going to Spencer's. You're the most popular mm-hmm. girl in school and you smell really good. You smell really good. And you're also the type of girl that when you're in the locker room for gym, you do like the <laughs> like the whole wraparound with the body spray, like where you spritz around your <laughs> yeah. entire body. Everyone gets a headache. Your teacher's yeah. like, I'm yeah. getting a migraine. Yeah, I'm getting a migraine. Seriously, yeah. The brands most like commonly associated with this would be, of course, Victoria's Secret. If you're going to be wearing a fragrance, it's going to be Love Spell. Um, and then Bath and Body Works, you're going to have like on your little like coach purse, you're going to have a um hand sanitizer that smells like a sugar cookie or gingerbread or vanilla some sort of like winter berry winter berry yeah marshmallow cream we should also note at the start it sounds like we're just describing something that happened 10 years ago and we're just talking about (laughs) that but we're actually not we're talking about how it is being manifested again on social media sites like pinterest yeah, tiktok we're like, um, digging this era. Yeah, yeah yeah we're not we're not like hey do you guys remember this it's more like being like oh someone remembered it and brought it back and we're like talking about it mm-hmm. yeah um i guess i'm going to read i'll just read out some other characteristics just to paint a a visual picture for you guys but also i would recommend go to the pinterest board which will have some um references for you but okay so it's definitely very like hyper feminine but on the girly side it takes a lot of inspiration and references a lot of like early influencer Instagram grids and tumblers. So like models like Victor- Victoria's Secret model, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley in like 2011, teenage Bella Hadid, who has her own like weird fandom for this era. It's called like Baby Bells. Um, also people like Ariana Grande. She had this like very iconic, very wafy tumbler. Uh where she posted photo booth pictures. Some other characteristics or interests of this aesthetic are kind of returning back to like Instagram filters that were considered very like outdated in recent history. Um, flash photos, Starbucks, but like very specific drinks like frappuccinos and like skinny vanilla lattes. Pre-coffee drinking. Yeah, drinks. yeah, they're very- as, as you guys know, we love like whipped yeah. cream. Whipped cream. It's I mean, a very adolescent yeah. approach to going to Starbucks. It's like- 
what can I yeah. get that is either like white or pink and tastes like cream. Exactly. Uh, there's also a, this kind of adjacent interest in very obvious, maybe it actually is coded luxury, but like to us, it's very obvious, like Van Cleef necklaces, Cartier love bracelets even. And then this is something we're definitely gonna talk about a lot, which is this like obsession with everything related to desserts, but not necessarily eating them, but like vanilla cream, buttercream, body washes, and like dessert scented perfumes. Um, and kind of like identifying yourself under like skinny vanilla latte for skinny vanilla, just these weird connections with dessert and identity. Oh, I was just going to say, we've talked about like the weird culinary obsession that was going on in the 2010s, like the snack wave. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't call it that during the episode, but someone brought that to our attention. But this is like snack wave for girls where it's like this weird Americanized kawaii, like cupcake that has a face on it type of thing yeah. ariana grande looking a donut for example <laughs> well that was also the That's this is so like funny. peak cupcake culture like do you remember cupcake stores were popping up everywhere mm-hmm. um and everyone wanted to they had like cupcake wars on um the food network i think you can literally track like our cultural decline in like the food trends it's true like, i think cupcakes were a high and then there was like like acai bowl places poke bowls what is it now like sweet green yeah we actually had like a we had like an at length conversation about this <laughs> i was like oh people just drink diet coke now as like a signifier yeah and it's like weird fast casual i was at chipotle the other day and there were like a ton of high school girls and they were like getting the weirdest orders really what were they like a burrito with no beans and no rice but like only meat <laughs> and then like a ton of sour cream i was like what the fuck god is damn that? dude that's awesome teenage girls eat the weirdest shit it actually is like we're like sugar buttercream vibe is so inaccurate for how a lot of teenage girls eat because they literally like drink queso at a mexican restaurant through a straw that's true oftentimes mm-hmm. but the mall does something to your psyche where it i don't know like i guess i've eaten food at the mall but it's a lot more fun to grades mm-hmm. and i think it's got something to do with the mall as a gathering place it is like a watering hole almost like you just mm-hmm. have a really hard yeah. time processing that amount of like variety and like i don't know when i was at the mall when i was a tween my mom would drop me off i would like meet my friends i was just literally tweaking out and i was like what are we gonna do and i think the mall is really fun because even if you don't buy anything i mean i had no real money at that time maybe i'd get sent with like even if you don't buy anything you're still like on this sugar high of consumerism and it's spectacle yeah Yeah. the mall literally causes mischief and mayhem it does in a good way like you literally the mall is literally full of sexual tension as a teenager Mm -hmm. it's great for people watching it's a place to be seen too when you're a kid yes and also like you always have a crush on like the guy that works at abercrombie or at american eagle or the like coffee shop guy at great american cookie and you dress up like specifically the for them. Well, they have a coffee. They have like a little coffee thing at Great American Cookie. Really? Yeah. I lived in a small town. I would only drink coffee <laughs> from there. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like Auntie Anne's like yeah. pretzel boy or whatever. Yeah, they are kind of trade. Yeah, I think balls are designed for impulse fulfillment. That's why mm-hmm. there's like really weird food at every corner. Like, you're not gonna like count calories at the mall. You're just gonna be like, oh my god, I'm smelling this cookie and I need it's it. It's true. The smell is so intense. Grazing is a really good word for it because it is just like you're foraging because everything's just like a little snack mm-hmm. and you're just like oh walking around getting little snacks everywhere. 
that's what I was thinking earlier. I am very like opposed to online shopping because I think like shopping should be like a resistant activity and like it shouldn't be frictionless and you should be tired after shopping. And I literally also was thinking that the mall really taps into our hunter-gatherer instincts. Definitely. Like we're really following our noses and like (laughs) carving out paths while like admiring the local trade. Like we're like, it's just our hunter-gatherer instincts are really stimulated there i think wait we are women so therefore we would be gathering we so were maybe... we were still hunters we we did all of it mm, we did all of it yeah just not as much i learned that in my anthropology class the professor was very adamant about it oh i thought you were specifically talking about us at the mall as like 13 oh. year olds and i was like yeah i was hunting i was i was like i was hunting <laughs> for um trade um that's probably why stealing is so prevalent too because like i don't feel like i need to steal when i'm at target but when i'm at the mall and i'm like trying on underwear at victoria's secret there's something in me like a demon that comes out of like from from the walls or something that's just like begging me to like put on like three layers of the (laughs) victoria's secret panties and just like running out of there like i don't know why i think logistically stealing at the mall is also kind of easy because it's like almost like a geopolitical thing like once you're out of the territory mm-hmm. of like one store you're like in a clear and then you just have this desire to conquer everything like when you're in target it's like a panopticon that's why it's so scary though because it's like i always felt like kids i know that would get in trouble for shoplifting would get in trouble at the mall and it mm-hmm. felt like a way bigger deal than getting in trouble at like target or something like the mall was like oh yeah that was like going to prison would be to get taken into like the back room of the mall because you were shoplifting yeah it was super no i feel like it's easier to get caught at the mall which actually might be a driver because like when you're a kid and you're at the mall like you said it's like full of all this like sexual tension and Mm. like i don't know you're just like on some sort of high and you're just like have y'all ever been caught stealing at the mall i have never stolen anything before okay well yeah i won't i've never been caught i got caught stealing at the mall once it's okay i know a lot of people that still are on their shoplifting kick yeah I think there was, like, a meme that was like that, like, shoplifting is, like, a hunter-gatherer thing. But I think the reason that a mall, like, there's a lot of mischievery is because it's one of the first places that your parents are okay with letting you go alone because it's, like, it honestly gives me, like, it takes a village vibes. Like, you feel safe with your kid being at the mall because there are so many people around. Like, you don't need a chaperone because it's, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, there's security. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's when you really, like find out who you truly are <laughs> like around your friends <laughs> like not in school like not around parents yeah like. also because you said it's it's so labyrinthian in the mall like I my hometown mall I like whenever I've gone to it after my childhood I'm so like wow what the fuck how do I get around here it's like very challenging to me so I feel like you don't even think about your kid being able to escape the mall you know what I mean it's almost like there's like that Hunger <laughs> yeah. Games-esque like force field around it where they like literally cannot leave once they go in versus you take them to the park like they're gonna get snatched up by like a, a hawk or something. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. Also, you also can't smoke weed, and not, actually, that's not true. But you probably you just shouldn't smoke. Well, you could probably yeah, go to like the parking smoke. lots. Definitely like the big ass parking lots. That, that the thing big ass parking lots. They're so scary and yeah. big. Cheesecake Factory is very like adjacent to sugar cookie consumerism. You think? Yeah, that's when you graduate. <laughs> Yeah. I think also a lot of like the trinkets associated with this aesthetic have to do with the fact that like the memories drawn upon to like create it and blog about it are like from going to the mall and only having like $40. And so all you can get is really trinkets. So you go to Victoria's Secret and you're not going to get like a bra and panty set. You're going to get like a spray because that's what you can get. And you're going to get like the little hand sanitizers. Mm. And you go to like Charming Charlie's and get like a bunch of like bangles. You also want something I think that you can like 
take around with you. Like you can't take a candle around with you as a child, but you can take a hand sanitizer from Bath and Body Works True. around. Yeah, it was like it was like a flex. Yeah. That reminds me of a point I wanted to discuss about uh the early media associated with this aesthetic. So Biz mentioned like old Instagram, which was kind of this casual Instagram like pre-stories where kind of everything warranted hard posting. Even if you did like a haul of two items, you would post it with white borders and a filter and just be like, mm-hmm. today was a movie. But also a lot of the like aspirational girl content that was on YouTube, like Bethany Moda or like Mac Barbie 07 or Zoella made these super haul videos or like vlogmas, I guess, where they would buy a lot of stuff from the mall and like really normal stores but the actual material of the halls was really accessible. It was just, like, the sheer quantity that was pretty impressive. Yes. So I think, like, one trait about sugar cookie consumerism is that, like, it's a really childish attitude towards like, shopping and commodity fetishism. Like, you're so young and you've seen so little of the world that, like, the most expensive thing you can think of is the stuff that's literally at the brick-and-mortar stores in your nearest vicinity. And I don't know, it kind of gives me, like age regressive vibes that mm-hmm. people are getting into this again because it's like we want to forget about luxury we want to forget about like red carpet fashion high fashion we literally just want to like go back to a time when that was like the consumer world and it's also kind of like pre-online shopping as you mentioned i really like that point because i feel that style is so fractured now there's a lot of pressure to like have an evolved sense of fashion as a 16 year old but yeah it's like a nostalgia for like a much much simpler type of consumerism like you said like when you were a young girl and all you wanted to go to the google was like go to the mall and maybe you go to victoria's secret and you'd make a purchase that was big enough that they'd give you one of the little stuffed dogs and that was so amazing (laughs) um but now it's like you need to like wear like archival you literally have to like source pieces like mm-hmm. i can't imagine being a teenager and being like yeah. i'm sourcing vintage you're you're literally sourcing vintage you're sourcing on depop you're sourcing everywhere vivian rick owens making sure everything's sustainable your underwear has to be sustainable <laughs> as a teenager it's just like Even boys are like having to wear jordans and shit like set up bots on like stock yeah 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 so i definitely understand why this would be super super attractive to someone who maybe only glimpsed this aesthetic mm. interest as a like young child versus experiencing it really as a teenager or as someone yeah a bit younger I think also something about that's like really charming about going to the mall is like one of the things that's the worst parts of like online shopping or just online experience in general is just the plethora of options that you're given and like at the mall it's just like really streamlined because you are just limited to the physical objects Mm -hmm. that are there And also it's just like kind of a scam that clothing companies that do online shopping mostly, they probably make so much money off people that just like order something that's the wrong size online and then just get like too lazy to return it. And so they just buy another one. That's just like such a good scam, I think. There's also some sort of weird like normification wave I see a lot of Zoomers ascribing to. And I think that to them, they alternified themselves like so early on, really like directly after this moment because of Tumblr. It was like 2014 was a moment of like alternative transformation. And this is the last normie thing that they can remember was just like babysitters they had that were like American Eagle, Love Spell Mm -hmm. and like pink 
pants or whatever. Like they're just like going back to last time they can remember, like there being something very normy around, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I think we kind of talked about that with the Twilight Renaissance episode, but that still had undercurrents of like alternativism. Alternative. Yeah. Because like there was like an element of like a high level romanticism that doesn't exist. This is an aesthetic that like is about girlhood, like plain mm-hmm. and simple. Like Victoria's Secret Pink by definition was created to like sell to teenage girls and define their interests this reminds me of lolita sort of a bit but it's like very no you're right because it's like it is like teenage girls that are like going into a lingerie store and buying things that are like borderline Mm-hmm. Sex, yes, like yeah. not sex because that was like the first wave of athleisure where like leggings and stuff it was like people didn't realize just yet what leggings in public did and like how erotic that is yeah <laughs> it was very exciting it was it was like incredibly erotic it literally tore through the fabric of society it did literally the lululemon leggings being able to tear easily <laughs> literally tore God, through the fabric the of society yeah it was like a big deal at my school i think it came up on the school board like if leggings should be if you should be allowed to wear them in school and there was a friend of mine this boy who like years later came out as like having a porn addiction but i remember him being really like i don't know disturbed by leggings he was like it's like you're literally naked but like your pants are just black it's like you might as well be wearing like black paint on your legs it's just like really distracting and i was like yeah is that really that's funny because that also went through that was the peak of like when the sports illustrated models would have body paint on for the cover and that was like really popular then and i was like bro you're literally just projecting because you're looking for porn no Um, you're right about the lolita thing but it's not a bad thing like i don't want to say that it's bad for girls to like this thing it's literally like a tale as old as time that young girls are into stuff like this oh wait i was gonna say something really quick about i think like what's interesting about pink specifically because i just went to the mall recently and i went into pink and it was like someone threw me into a time machine like they were blasting the ariana grande christmas album and none of their merchandise Mm -hmm. had changed from when i was a teenage girl like everything was the same like, and because I think it's the most legible girlhood brand that the American mall has ever, like, seen, they don't ever have to change and they shouldn't. They really have become, like, the standard for, like, the transition from, like, preteen to teen. That's so interesting because a lot of posting around this aesthetic is, like, I want to be a teenage girl forever, which we've touched mm-hmm. on in a prior episode, I believe. But, like, there is a certain immobility about the Victoria's Secret pink brand even as the parent company Victoria's Secret has like changed and um become more diverse and like it doesn't represent what it once did there's still like this immobility around the VS pink brand that I think like mirrors is like I want to be a teenage girl forever Mm -hmm. you're so right about that thank you guys I want to talk about something that really interests me and this may be derailing the conversation but I think you guys will have some interesting stuff to say about it and this relates to this obsession with bath and body products specifically ones that kind of well if our listeners are familiar with the the brand lush it's this bath company that was super super popular on youtube with beauty vloggers and it was really popular in like the early 2010s i would say and they made things like bath bombs and just kind of like very aesthetic bath products but i once heard someone say something like this it was so interesting to me like that places like lush make all these products look and smell like delicious sweets and food because it like weirdly sublimates women's desire to like eat those foods i thought that was so interesting i was like wait you're on to something there yeah that's like that um that video that's going around of kourtney kardashian that's like 
oh, I can't wait to smell this donut. I can't eat it, but I can't wait to smell it. And she smells the donut, but doesn't eat it. But then it's like almost like this stand-in for a food, like becomes like your weird, weird little pet because there's like this weird pet relationship with like bath bombs where it's like, oh, look at him go. Look at him. I'm dropping him into my bath and what will he do? Yeah. It also <laughs> reminds me so much of that early Instagram, like casual posting era because that was like an occasion for posting when you were like using a bath yeah. bomb. Like, if a bath bomb goes off and no one takes a picture, it basically didn't happen. Because, like, really, the sensory effect of it, like, wasn't that nice. I would feel, like, really weird after. Like, I would just sit in the tub and be like, okay. Mm-mm. It's, like, sandy. So, like, lush bath bombs were kind of, like, Pokemon for the first generation of online beauty gurus. So they just, like, wanted to collect all of them. So they posted all these really detailed hauls and assorted products. But then this type of, like, behavior and content later in like 2020-ish and before became associated with self-culture or not self-culture self-care culture but like back then it wasn't like that it was literally just girls being girls on the mm-hmm. internet and that's what people want they just want to be girls on the internet like all this kind of like posting your skincare and stuff or it just became associated with something really different mm-hmm. in the late 2010s and it was originally it, it really was yeah. lush that created this shift though because it was like the first mass object that like really went viral and it was specifically meant to be like posted hyper object <laughs> yeah exactly yeah do you know who margaret cho is yeah she was the person who said this i think i guess she's she like a comedian yeah well she has she's like really smart like she said like lush is a way for women to just des- suppress their desire to eat by buying things that look like food the appeal of lush is for women to feel like we're consuming luxurious foods when really we're investing in our beauty slash youth. And I'm like, you're actually really smart to say Slay. that. Slay, that that's, that's so true, yeah. My take on body care and this aesthetic, like the lush bath and body works, like drugstore, body scrubs, body sprays from Victoria's Secret thing, really reminds me of the way self-care in this time was purely sensory and like for the perception of other people. Mm-hmm. So like the only goals were having really soft skin and smelling good. Whereas now I feel like you have to be like a biochemist to work out a skincare routine and you have to take a million quizzes to figure out your like super individual skincare needs. I don't know, it's kind of like we were talking about kids having to like source archive fashion. Like I don't know when things became so complex, but back in this time it's like, okay, you (laughs) smell nice, like you feel good, that's it. You don't need like a 20 step skincare routine. And I think that's beautiful. That's so funny. That reminds me of, yeah, the idea of, like, someone smelling good was never more important than it was during this time. Like, it also simultaneously was the era of, like, Axe body spray for men. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the peak was probably, like, 2010. I think it's just, like, puberty. Like, everyone's really insecure about, like... Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Everyone, like, there is this, like, cultural idea that, like, when you hit puberty, you, you reek... Which, like, I think you do smell worse during puberty, but you don't, like, like, you're not, like, a festering sore for the most part. And honestly, like, (laughs) like, y'all, it it is, like, it made it worse because, like, I remember distinctly the smell of, like, sorry, like, just a girl, like, that's covering up something with Bath and Body Works spray. Like, that smell is worse than anything they could ever smell, like, naturally. Like, just floral. Yeah, it's locker room smell. It makes it worse. But, like, that is true because at some point we became really, like, hyper utilitarian about everything. Like, materialism used to be like something just before the girlies for the girlies it was just absurd and it made no sense and you were just supposed to be like sparkly and shit and now it's like there's like there has to be utility to like every step of your skincare process yeah which is why teenagers are into like the ordinary serums like peel off a layer of your skin with like some sort of acid versus like when i was that age 
not that age, but when I was like in middle school, I remember all the girlies had St. Ives apricot scrub. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think it was a cultural shift when they were doxxed online and people were like, it actually rips up your skin and like you're causing micro abrasions in your skin when you use that. And I believe that was the start of the end and has landed us in this like hyper scientific chemist oriented kill all the sparkly body spray era. Yeah fragrance free yeah it's like facts don't care about your feelings but like skincare wise and i think it's also (laughs) that's funny relating it to like the fashion thing it's kind of like you know we always insist like this time is really frictionless but i think a lot of friction has been created because people like to feel like they're outsmarting capitalism or like they have expertise in something like the rush of getting a really good grail for really cheap is like better than buying something at the mall or like knowing that the product that you're using has like better ingredients than something that's more expensive i don't know people seem to really it's like the redditification of society where it's just like you want (laughs) to be in the know about everything yeah like the life hacks that have just really gone down to every single every single thing that consumes our life it's so like um actually like (laughs) no No, it's true it's soy facey no, and this is something yeah. else that I like I wanted to get into with this because I was watching some Victoria's Secret fashion show YouTubes in preparation for this episode and all of the comments were just like debates about whether or not the fashion show was like good for women, bad for women, whether it empowered people. And I think the reason why Gen Z is like really materialistic is because like they really do think that they've hacked capitalism when actually like they're just further being duped by it because they think the point of marketing is to make you feel a certain type of way like like, oh, it's supposed to empower you. It's supposed to give you dysmorphia. It's supposed to represent you. It's supposed to not represent you. And like, no, the singular thing that it's meant to do is wave like a shiny little trinket in front of your face and make you go like goo goo gaga and like go buy it. And like, that's it. Like, and you're basically just kind of like demanding consumer brands. You're like giving them the tools to dupe you even further by demanding like all of these like different aspects of like representations and shit. I was talking to someone about this earlier in relation to fashion. And I always say this, I'm like, bro, I really want brands just to tell me what to like. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want them to like be like, we're here for you and we accept you. Yeah. But I also am like a white woman, et cetera. So maybe they always have, that hasn't been a problem for me. But it's also like, so, to me, I'm like, they're they're giving them the tools. It's like a form of bootlicking because to the advertisers, it's like, oh, this ad actually doesn't work so well on me. Like, let me give you the tools so that it works even better on me. And I like buy more of your useless shit for myself. Bro, like the R&D team is having a ball here. Like they're just getting everything they need from like it's TikTok true. comment sections. They don't really need to like ring up anyone anymore. They don't have to do that anymore because like people are doing that for free and they're also like begging to do that like for no reason like they're they're like begging to have their pockets mined they're like please like make your ad it's like they want their voices heard. yeah it just yeah. it's really i don't know yeah. i used to do focus groups for money <laughs> I know. but it was always for like really outdated no. companies you could just go online and doing like, focus people. groups is so fun like yeah. getting paid to do that shit i used to do that shit too yeah i loved it they literally would treat you like you we're the most special person on earth and they're like please tell us your opinions and they pay for it and it was great yeah. but sorry that was like a huge digression <laughs> well it wasn't a digression i'm just like what were we talking about what is oh, anglophilia anglophilia okay so um this is gonna be i think something that really like i don't even know like scratches people's brains if i can say that but the british youtube wave and british culture in general I, don't, I actually am not the authority on this. 
Okay, can someone who's not me talk about British culture taking yeah. over the 2010s? Because I just feel like I wasn't really that into that. Um, but I did witness it from the sidelines. I was so on this. Like, I just, me and my sister used to watch X Factor YouTube a lot. And we were, mm. like, I remember, like, watching all of the One Direction video diaries live as they were posted. Like, I was just such an Anglophile. I bought a Jack Wills, like, polo shirt oh to, like, God, wear. Fine. And it was, like, such, a, me and my sister would fight over it. It was just a, such a wave of Anglophilia. It, it really was, like, 2014 was kind of a peak for it. It was, like, Ed Sheeran. Um, that was actually a really fun year. I went to a couple Ed Sheeran shows ooh, and they were couple. really good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was probably in like late middle school. It was okay. so, it was so fun. Yeah, that that's like, it was like somehow adjacent to Flappy Bird in my brain. Like when Flappy Bird was still downloadable from the app store, like everybody loved Union Jack shit. Also, we are literally going through an Ed Sheeran like revisionist moment right now where people are we being are. truther about him. So I'm like, <laughs> obviously we're revisiting this on some grand scale. Ed apologizing. Like, yeah. You know what? That little bastard never yeah. bothered me that much. He did nothing wrong. <laughs> I know. It's like true. he literally did nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong, guys. He was just kind of fugly. Really? And I don't think people like fugly, like pop stars. I don't think it had to do with him being fugly. I think to be mm-hmm. honest, I was working in his favor, favor because yeah. people were like, the fact that he's so fugly, but he's so talented, and we've like accepted him. And- it makes it was like everyone's earnest. like patting themselves on the yeah, back and it's like oh that. he's so earnest about this love song like he couldn't be fake because he's ugly so yeah. like he was like susan boyle people beef people beef with him because i think he really did sell out in a way the same way like, the weekend did mm-hmm. he just kind of became a pop star which like has obviously a lot of attraction like what that's very attractive it doesn't to suit him honestly like he was better when he had like a guitar only i know mm-hmm. was good at he was like a kind of busker vibe. I don't know. He, well, he, he did was have like a, a busker fake, vibe. He was a fake yeah. busker. I like know a lot about his personal history. Um, <laughs> not from even that phase of my life, but just because like his parents are like art historians or something. But that's not that's beside the point. That's so British. I think the British wave to me it was it had something to do with like a twee like sixties revival, mm-hmm. which I feel like also this time yeah. had that sense of like youth quake where like young people were driving consumer identity to like a really mm-hmm. weird extent like i'm just thinking about like teacups and yeah, garage rock that was like bulldogs yeah and honestly like on the flip side arctic monkeys and like their adjacent acts were also kind of i don't know like i feel like arctic monkeys in one direction <laughs> combined were like a synthesis of the beatles but we like they diverted and performed yeah. osmosis I, That's, I was just thinking now that like the early 2000s was like a transfixation with paris but and then maybe london mm-hmm. came after they did synthesize at a certain point because like do you guys remember when it was a really big deal to go to the macaroon store lottery or lottery however you say it and get those like very cute macaroons and post them so there was definitely like a synthesis between like anglophilia and francophilia yeah. And it still shows up today in this, like, revival, I think. Yeah, it's true, because, like, the, like, aesthetic Instagram feed Victoria's Secret model pictures that are popping up all over Pinterest right now are just, like, sepia-toned, like, shots of just you sitting in your, like, hotel room eating snacks in Paris or something. I think women should strive for that. Like, I think that makes sense to me. Yeah, that is a dream. Um, Yeah, I'd like to talk about... Ariana Grande seems like a major figure, not only like right now for her like weird racial <laughs> moment, but also for, um, I think she was like a real icon of this time. 
And her brand of nostalgia is really fascinating to me because it kind of had this like 60s like mod edge later on. Yeah, I was about to say like 50s. Even her music had like a weird doo-wop kind of thing and like her high pony and that fit and flare silhouette I feel like was really big. And also Old Victoria's Secret, Sam and I were talking about it, had that weird like boudoir pinup kind of rockabilly vibe yeah, like to it. I just yeah. don't even know how to process what was going on. Ariana Grande, she is such a weird cultural and aesthetic chameleon. Like she even somehow managed to, when she was on her, when she was doing Tumblr, she somehow managed to totally nail that aesthetic too. Like, I don't know what it is about her, but her photos on there could have gone viral even if she wasn't famous. Oh, definitely. You're totally right about that. She's like a classier Trisha Paytas. That yeah. She just like, she really can transform into anything. And that's what's funny too is she's like ageless and now like she's still like a top star right now. But right now she's having like a wave of nostalgia. It's like, remember well, Ariana Grande? nostalgia for her days when she was like, Tumblr pre-baddie 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 yeah pre-baddie yeah um cupcake girl he was a cupcake girl she certainly was was. and I was going to say earlier when this came up when she so there was this video of Ariana Grande that was quite controversial because she was licking a donut at like a donut store and people were like that is disgusting and like very disrespectful and a health hazard and I'm like oh my god she literally went from a cupcake girl to a baddie who was like spitting on donuts and i feel like that must have been some sort of um like karmic shift that led to the decline of this aesthetic okay so another thing about this aesthetic that the girls really love is the marie internet 2006 movie by sofia coppola it also has this insane fascination with like treats cake confection confections and like how they relate to like Literally, the feminine urge is such a connection between those things in that movie. Um, yeah, it's honestly not even that whole movie. I feel like there's this one montage where she like spirals out and buys a ton of shoes and is like eating a bunch of cake. And I think it's it's set to "I Want Candy." Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think th- the reason this period has like a really strong psychological hold is because you like learn about gender roles. Really, like you think being a girl is like just wanting shoes, which. I don't know, maybe that's why I feel kind of attached to it is because like I was really averse to being seen as a girly girl because I like really wanted to be taken seriously. So now I'm like, wait, Slay, like I kind of want to go to the mall. Um, (laughs) But my quote about the... (laughs) Myself quote. uh, When you think about it, the mall is kind of like our little Versailles. Like there's all of this whispery social microcosm stuff going on. You're kind of trying to flex. There are treats everywhere. It's on this sublime scale like not only the physical scale of the individual mall structure but there's this like pseudo-religious feeling that you're part of something bigger that's like a cultural institution because i think what makes malls unique from other experiences of shopping of the past like i don't know bazaars and like markets is that you know that there are teen girls all across the country roaming identical malls with identical stores and they have identical desires and insecurities and you're all kind of like forming this hive mind of consumer identity and I think there's something really calming about it. Mm, that's so beautiful. Going to malls in other towns is also really uncanny. I would also is, say yeah. that something that seems to contribute to that hive mind effect was how 
you guys obviously remember like the when they would make the Abercrombie models like stand outside the door. Oh yeah. Like, that was somehow an experience that like everyone had. You're not gonna mm-hmm. ever have that same experience like online shopping or shopping at like a individual store, or even like a some sort of bougie market. No, it's true. And I think this is also like what's great. I mean, people shit on malls all the time. Now, these are actually like the last vestige of like a place where people are forced to spend time with like other people who they have very little in common with super superficially, which is probably like one of the healthiest social activities there is. Like you need to be kind of, there's like no more egalitarian place than like a mall food court. Like there's people from like all backgrounds there and you're all forced to like consume this like greasy, disgusting food as your like feet are really tired and shit. And you're just like uh-huh. witnessing all of these like beautiful family interactions. Have you guys ever experienced a mall YouTuber? <laughs> Oh. The times I've been to my mall in my hometown in the past, there's always this like teenager with a microphone who's like literally asks Wait. questions like gay son or thought daughter. Um, I haven't experienced that, but that's literally, it makes sense. It's how you get a diverse population at your fingertips. People are in this like, this mood at the mall often that makes them willing to do something like that, I think. Also, I think we should know we've talked a lot about like the mall as a public space and it really is this like quasi private public space. But beyond that, there's so many places in America that simply do not have public spaces for people to go to. Like a lot of neighborhoods don't have libraries or parks or if they have them like they're out of they're out of mm-hmm. maintenance. And so the mall is like really one of the last places that people can mm-hmm. congregate in, in yeah. certain areas and you can kind of do whatever you want at the mall you could be as loud as you want there's a bunch of like kids like screaming mm-hmm. in groups like people are like, really pooping their pants in the mall. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's, just, it's like, like... Very... there are a lot of hooligans like people playing pranks yeah also. it's true like, mall cops are also like comically like bumbling yeah mall cop that was also in this era it was yeah. in this era yeah it was, I guess, when it was the point when malls were starting to become, like, a bit of a joke. And so they made that very poor taste movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's worth bringing up, like, the dark side of this, which is, like, the very vaporwave fascination with, like, abandoned malls and, like, yeah. well, you know, neon signs and a mall that's, like, half full of water with, like, sharks swimming Okay, personally, I love that mm-hmm. photograph. And it, like, is Me really too. imprinted on my mind. Like, the sharks swimming at the bottom of the escalator. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, malls are really scary. I remember mm-hmm. I often was at them, like, when they were closing or past closing. And I was like... Ooh. This place is haunted. I'm scared for my life. I'm going to get kidnapped. Well, I think it's also like what's weird about malls is that it's one of the few liminal spaces that you can like truly loiter in, mm-hmm. which is like you're really just like seeping in all of liminal stuff. Because yeah. like liminal spaces are usually a place you walk through and there's like no seating or like you're really like on the way somewhere else. I will question your intentions if you're literally like at the mall all day. I like luxury malls too. There's definitely a division between the average hometown mall and the luxury mall. I haven't spent a ton of time with luxury malls, but I am interested in their existence. They have things like California Pizza Kitchen. Oh, yeah. Well, the mall here where I am at, unfortunately, it's like kind of half dead, but it's like set up in this really great way where it's like you start at like all of the shitty like knockoff stores that have like unrecognizable names and then you move into like wet seal and then you start moving into American Eagle and it starts getting like more and more like luxurious and then towards the other end of the mall they have like the much nicer like 
designer stores. So it's like really just set up in this very like class hierarchy way. It's literally like walking up the hierarchy. It's really strange to me because I think New York is trying to create these mall experiences a lot lately. Like there's Hudson Yards, One Manhattan West, which I went to over the weekend. It was just like really bizarre. Uh, Brookfield Place is kind of also a luxury mall. But I think Mm -hmm. the realities of like retail real estate kind of break the illusion because the only places that can afford to have retail stores and like luxury environments like this are either luxury stores that probably aren't making actual money on retail like they're just basically having it there as like brand product placement or something and then it's like the kinds of stores that are at every mall so like Hudson Yards is really strange because it's like Dior like Hermes all of these designer houses but then there will be like a weird pop-up greeting card store or something yeah well that's what I when I went to the mall last the person I was with was complaining about how there wasn't any variety in like the merchandise and that these places are basically just like display because there really is like their best stuff is online they only have like five items that are even purchasable that's like very much giving luxury mall to me though yeah possibly yeah like the actual regular mall is still like overflowing and teeming with um goods that are just like there's too many goods there in fact yeah, that's kind of true. Like, retail stores more and more these days have kind of become, like, placeholders. Like, the product that's Reformation there, yeah, store. they don't really have it in, like, the sizes you want. And they're like, oh, you should just order it online. It's just, like... Oh it's God. so offensive. I don't know. Someone said that to me recently that, like, in the future... Was it Patrick? I don't know who it was. But, like, in the future, like, shopping in this... I, I honestly feel like we're going to a phase where shopping in person is, like, a luxury. And, like, having someone speak to you in a store and, like go and get you your size and stuff like that is a luxury yeah i think so i just find it mad annoying because you you realize like how cheap and shitty things are like i'd rather just like have that magical period where it's almost like unrequited love before like an item arrives from online where it's just like it can be as beautiful as you think it's going to be in your head yeah it definitely is Mm -hmm. it's such a Uh, but i really like the experience of going to a store and getting hyped up by like the retail person and like trying something on and like i'm very susceptible to that honestly i make the most regrettable purchases in store like literally if someone says it looks good on me i'll just like say yeah i also (laughs) am really interested in like hard limits like i think that i'm like opposed to the idea of everything being at our fingertips for the most part so I think like in a way I, mm-hmm. I support people having to wear what is like available to them in physical proximity, which isn't as limiting as you think because all, there's still like thrift stores everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I guess some people do live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But they have the most swag yeah. anyways. So like. <laughs> it's true. That's so true. Small town people dress way so better than swag, any metropolitan yeah. person. Like, I'm sorry, y'all have nothing on these like small town, like alt girls, like but that is true. Like, it's, like, so liberating to because, like, the infinity of options is really, like, the most, one of the most crushing aspects crushing. of the internet. It's literally crushing. It's also, it's, yeah, it's, like, infinite self-optimization. Exactly. It's, like, I can endlessly shop and endlessly evolve, but when you can only wear things that are available to you at, like, a mall, mm-hmm. you have to... You get creative with styling. Work with it more. <laughs> it's true. You have to get creative with styling. You yeah. do. You also have to, like, 
you literally have to like rely more on like your personality it's and so like true. how you wear an outfit if everyone else around you was like wearing the same thing oh no this is like minimally related but someone's commenting on all of my venmo transactions begging me to be their sugar baby that's like the weirdest scam i've ever seen oh my okay. god <laughs> that's actually extremely related to this yeah. because sugar cookie sugar, there is like a sugar baby type of vibe to this because it's like reminding you of a time when i don't know you were just getting money from your parents and you didn't have to worry about like spending your own money on stuff yeah that is the sugar baby fantasy is like eternal dependency this is a sugar daddy's dream because you're not making his pockets hurt very much <laughs> like compared to like the average metropolitan sugar baby is wanting these days like if you're like oh take me shopping at victoria's secret <laughs> that's really not gonna put too much damage um into your bank yeah, account that's true. i would like to talk about maximalism and conspicuous consumption and like the financial bimbofication of young people which i feel like has something to do with like the stimulus checks because that really changed the way that I understood money because like literally one day I woke up and had like $8,000 from nowhere. I feel like Gen Z has like really, it's like a do not perceive me mindset, but with like checking their bank accounts, there are all these tweets and TikToks that are like, money isn't real. I'm just buying cute outfits for my avatar. And I think this mindset towards money and transactions and like commodities is really jumping out with this aesthetic oh definitely you know they want to return to a youthfulness i think people were were really like accelerated into adulthood especially the younger gen z kids that are like right now in college or maybe like graduating college because they were just able to like extend their childhoods for a few more years because of covid so they're not ready for you're this. living at your parents house but you're like getting so much unemployment money and you're kind of just like wait like what do i want that's like why people i think also got more into archival fashion was like these stimulus checks and people were yeah. like living at their parents houses and being like i am going to put on my best pants today i think this is like the leftovers of millennials like treat yourself capitalism or like YOLO capitalism vibes where it's just coping with the fact that working and life is really monotonous and like thankless so you have to constantly give yourself treats to think that life is worth living which is like really not sustainable but also no. kind of like this so yeah there's been a lot of interesting discourse around that and like they're like actually millennials aren't poor because they eat avocado toast and stuff mm -hmm. like that but the mindset regardless is very ingrained mm -hmm. in the psyche of that of that generation well i think it's the same thing like we've either talked about this just us or in another episode of like it, it really has to tie it back to food is like millennials pioneered like the whole thing of like making vegetables fun spiking your milkshakes doing all of these things of like making everything it's hacking it's hacking your life hacking like, your life hack yeah because they they really their ethos is like least amount of sacrifice possible i really do think that's part of no offense to millennials like i'm not trying to be like trash them or whatever but i do think it is like part of their legacy is like so you have to kind of like dress everything up in this childlike Peter Pan way to make it more consumable. I have like a weird thought about food and energy these days. It seems like food and energy are super alienated from each other. I mean like ideally calories are supposed to be converted to energy but they like don't really mean that like something that can have a lot of calories and not really like fuel you and they kind of seem like abstract concepts. I think the only true essence is like hungies. And I think this is because modern labor doesn't really re require that much energy from you. When you think about it, 
doing online school or working remotely, you can kind of do it really confidently on like one shitty meal a day. And now everyone is trying to get like productivity essence from things like kombucha or like pharmaceuticals and nootropics and Bella Hadid's like kin euphorics and stuff. I don't know. It just seems like people like forgot that like eating. I don't know, whatever. I literally eat like straight garbage. So you're totally right. I mean, that's related back to the, your other point about skincare being kind of like their utility has kind of like is transformed into something else. It's so perverted. It's extremely mm-hmm. perverted. Yeah, because we don't everything is so streamlined and so like spoon fed. I really do think it's therapeutic to go to the mall. I don't know. We really need to find ways to because we're already like stuck in like a hyper consumer mode whenever we're sitting at home in our dark rooms like talking to like a camera and you're like waiting to get uber eats and stuff yeah exactly we like need to be around like ugly things too yeah. like the mall you going like this is so ugly and i'm like okay well that is like what people are buying versus like walking around like certain neighborhoods in downtown new york where it's like every single storefront is like very adorable or very attractive in some way and all the restaurants are like catered very much to a certain demographic yeah. I think we do need to be around things that we find like detestable and hideous. Yeah, that's what Carl Jung said. He said that diversity in aesthetics is the only thing that expands your ego. It's like really healthy for your ego. Your identity or your consumer identity is formed more by what you don't like than what you actually do like. And it seems like if you're living on the internet, you're going to see such a surplus of stuff that you do like that you're going to like forget about what actually exists. It is kind of like a challenge for me to actually go to the mall and find something I want to buy, though. But it's friction. It's like a, a challenge that creates friction. And it is like identity is formed by difference. Um, but I also think we are also subject to this like um, weird advancement of taste. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we have not like we have way too advanced taste, but like like what we find unacceptable in a garment probably isn't something someone would find unacceptable in a garment like 10 years ago. Yeah. Because we have like this higher exposure to what we could potentially wear well that's why i think like the normification wave that is kind of tied to this is like really kind of significant because it is like people have really refined their taste so much they're so alternative they're so high class or whatever and it's exhausting that like it's becoming like a singularity type thing like the only way to differentiate yourself is to return to the pre-singularity like normie model of tradition girl that wears pink <laughs> leggings yeah it's like gender um, deceleration <laughs> gender deceleration it is i will say this this a whole aesthetic and interest there's a lot of misogyny applied towards these women like people were constantly made fun of for like liking bath and body works um that was like a, a symbol of being like brain dead yeah yeah victoria's secret body spray was also a thing that was associated with like being i guess is it like i don't know if it's middle class i don't know what class it is definitely you don't want to chime definitely in? middle class yeah oh it's like a housewifey thing to be into it's like the shit you find at like the medical secretary's desk yeah were there really grown women that were like in this style yeah there are yeah there still are definitely yeah i mean that those are the only people that have really kept this going as like moms mm. i guess for me it seems like the older women that took on to the victoria's secret look were former like y2k bimbos 
And that also added like another layer of like misogyny vibes because they definitely attacked this aesthetic and brought all of those negative associations yeah. they had towards them. Yeah. This reminds me of like the TikTok mood board videos that are like, POV, you have a teen mom in the, like, 2000. So true, yeah. I'm like, I literally have no idea what that's like. But, like, yeah, it's, like, chunky platforms with, like, French chip toenails. Yeah, messy. Um, and messy butt. This really reminds me of Trisha Paytas. She has this kind of, like, aesthetic in a way that really concerns me because she's, like, obviously so rich, but I think she's really childish in that it's, yeah. like, I want quantity over quality. Oh, Yeah. But also, I guess it's kind of quality, but like, have you seen her insane wall of customized Starbucks cups? Girl. Yes, that's what I was going to say. It's it's like the feminine urge to have like a bedazzled Mm -hmm. pink Starbucks cup. That is something to interrogate. I also would like to say that there's definitely a body type that goes along with this, which is like very much like it's okay to be skinny. Well, there's also, I was going to mention that too, is like, it's either really, really skinny girls or girls that are like Trisha Paytas type body where it's like, you're still kind of- They're not being glorified in this though. No, no. They're just like the actual soldiers of the assessment. (laughs) I'm talking about like who ends up on the mood boards. It's like this, I would say the deepest fascination is with like Victoria's Secret models pre 2015. Mm -hmm. Like stomachs that are so chiseled, it looks like you have bone in them. We have boneless stomachs. We have boneless stomachs. This is a boneless stomach podcast. Yeah, but it's interesting though, because it's like, I guess there is this huge desire for thinness right now that's like really coming back in. But then I, the Victoria's Secret thing, the whole machine was so well calibrated to be like the perfect balance of like bombshell sexy, but also super like girlish. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's why it's attractive and has always been attractive. And that is literally like it's like a it's like a war machine. Like it's literally designed to be so effective. Those yeah, girls. They're cybernetically like produced and like they're they they built a bitch, yeah. Um, like everything. Their influence is still resounding. Like even like Victoria's Secret blowout hair, all these things that are still desirable. There's like this huge weird virginality associated with like early Victoria's Secret models. For example, Adriana Lima, there's this like well-known story about her, which is perhaps myth is perhaps true. No one knows that she was like a virgin until she married her husband. And she's literally like one of the sexiest women to ever exist. Like I think everyone thinks that she was, she's so fine. Mm -hmm. And then there's also just like other instances of that kind of demureness that is always applied to the media training and media personalities of Victoria's Secret angels which like and also like angelicness they're called angels you know like they're so much of k-pop honestly wait default friend who we forgot to reply to her email she just posted something in her (laughs) I know she posted something in her newsletter that was just like a blurb about like k-pop and sex negativity but the way that Victoria's Secret angels were even though they were like so much more revealing kind of reminds me of like that weird like cross-section of like you're a sexual object but you are really desexualized and like sanitized they're so yeah they're so desexualized Mm -hmm. for some reason well because they're commodities like the unchangingness of the flat image makes it virginal because you literally can't corrupt an image like it's already been taken it's very dehumanizing um what else do we want to talk about is there anything else guys I guess there's one thing I wanted to talk about. I think cute loungewear is really foundational to this, but it takes on a lot of forms. There's like the Victoria's Secret Angel kind of extra glam boudoir, like silk robe thing. And then there's the more childlike nymphette floral matching set or like pointel or whatever. 
And then there's kind of like the Jersey Shore logo mania, like block lettering, Victoria's Secret pink set with like the folded over waistband. There have been a lot of really boring think pieces about like the pandemic and loungewear, but I do mm-hmm. think the the prevalence of this aesthetic is kind of signaling a like step your pussy up vibe to loungewear. Yeah, work from home yeah. in your boudoir robe, yeah. And I think kind of like the, the rituals, one of you mentioned like the Victoria's Secret blowout hair, like everyone's obsessed with like having their hair in rollers, like it's this very like 1950s <laughs> image of self-care yeah. that is kind of funny to me. Yeah. Well, I think ritual has disappeared from culture and we've mm-hmm. forced it into like our consumption cycles because consumption cycles are like basically culture now. So emotastic. Yeah, like rituals used to be like going to your grandparents' house whenever you, I don't know, there there, there used to be rituals. That's all I'm going to, but <laughs> sorry, I got like, uh, I got confused. There used to be a country, a real <laughs> country. To, yeah, but then there's like, that's the whole thing. Young <laughs> um, Chul Han wrote a book about it, but I haven't read it, but about how like rituals have disappeared from culture. But I'm going to cut that part out. I don't want to name drop him mm, like, like, on the pod. No, I like Sam. I liked your point about John Green. Uh, that this this era was like the last period of cultural peace that we can remember. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I just this is kind of related to like the video diaries one direction thing. And I really like got into it. I might have I, I was like maybe one or two years too old to get into stuff like that. But I had a little sister who was really into the fault in our stars one direction. And so we kind of like bonded over that sort of thing. And that was like a time where like everyone was kind of on Tumblr. Mm. All of this critical like analysis of culture was kind of beginning, but not really. It was more just like fandom was really ruling. It was like it was like intense fandom. Yeah, that that really was like the way that people were exerting all of their like weird teenage frenetic energy. So it was like literally the last period of time when there was not like all of this cultural discord and like pressure on everybody to like really be like a good member of society who like does not perpetuate any type of negative. I don't know. That just made me think about We Heart It. That was like a huge. I do a lot of sourcing on We Heart It. It's the most like the most difficult website to use. I love it there. There was a lot of weird fandom activity. It's just Um, like that was my point was like I think when Flappy Bird got taken down from the app store like something happened and it like set the ball rolling on some evil (laughs) demon that like really consumed like the souls of america he kind of looked like pepe he did look like pepe when ariana grande licked the donut it was the same thing like these were like cosmic shifts that changed the culture they're like indiana jones totems yeah they literally are um i think on a like a media theory level though i don't know what media theory is (laughs) if i did i would say this i just think that like victoria's secret model there's so many like more moving images of them that can be used on Twitter and stuff just because they were these like commodities that were constantly in like photo shoot after photo shoot and being recorded nonstop. And I think that makes it really attractive as like a reaction image because the models of our day, there's just, there are a lot of photos of them and like moving images, but they're not as like stylized. They're not as bouncy, boisterous, draw to vive. They're like the Victoria's Secret girls were literally made to be emojis as well in their own way. It's like the like the hand kiss yeah. thing. I think they had like Ugh. a very strong awareness of the camera. The one person who I think is transitional between the Victoria's Secret Angel class and the like Nepo baby like paparazzi picture like prefab iconic class is Cara Delevingne, but now she's like kind of washed. But she also she was like <laughs> a big figure in that like off 
duty model swag, I guess, or she like had street style, like DJing yeah, and stuff. That's so but you don't really see a lot of like, I don't know, the Victoria's Secret models like come out once a year and then they like go back to dating or being married to like super famous guys. Wait, like they don't live yeah. in public, really. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's why there's this obsession with these like early social media images of these women because there's a really good contrast between their like very stylized photo shoot personas and then like the kind of like flash photos they would upload to instagram in like 2012. it was so mm-hmm. early duck face too yeah Earl, like... early duck yeah. face is so hot like... dude and snapchat dog filter <sighs> I know. I w- I meant to bring that up at the beginning, but I forgot. And I'm, I'm gonna like, start a riot. I know, yeah. I don't know. I was thinking about this too with the obsession with casual Instagram, not only in like the frequency of posting and like the content, but also just like the form. I feel like now posting, at least for me, not to be like I facetune my photos, but like hard <laughs> posting requires so much like I don't know, like meddling and like editing and you're so insecure about it. But I feel like back then we were still impressed by the novelty of the fact that this like faux vintage filter would erase all of your features that you were just like slaps on toaster filter. This looks great. Like send it out. And I just really am so So jealous of that. It was almost like early bladyfication. Like it's like the same as the blady edits, but it's like Mm -hmm. in sepia tone. Yeah. Yeah, Recently I've been putting a lot of like um, filters of this variety on like my Instagram stories and I'm really like, oh, like it looks so good. It really elevated the image. Which is I how we used too, to yeah. we, how we used to feel when we would post a grid with a filter. We'd be like, oh, yeah. it really elevated the image. Yeah, and people would have like themes to their I don't know like Instagram. Their grids, yeah, it was like the same filter. Yeah. Shout out to my friend, my good friend of the pod, Pearl, who has been filtering her photos for years. She never stopped. <laughs> you know, this is actually I want to say relating back to how skincare has become more scientific and like body care, I think was the word you used, Alexi. Like it's been very scientific and chemistry based. It's the same thing with photo editing. Yeah. You can literally buy someone's visco presets so that they tell you exactly what level to turn each preset up to so it looks the same way that their photo grid looks. Or just like even things like how like the indie kit aesthetic that has like this really high saturation and grain. Oh, yeah. You're doing that yourself instead of like letting the machine do it for you. We've talked about this early, early, like one of our first episodes about like the disappearance of experts and like everyone becomes like a pseudo expert and like the professionalization of average beauty. And like, Mm -hmm. I think it is just like there is no authority or institution. It's all been like decentralized. And so everyone has to become like their own professional. Everyone has to become their own daddy institution or whatever. Yeah, I think it came with the awareness that we could actually make money on social media. Like after that, people became obsessed with like, okay, I need to do everything I can to like try to get on this. There's a kind of good book about this that Verso published that's by Nathan Jorgensen. It's like the social photo on photography and social media, but it's like slightly outdated because it's about early Instagram, but that's like relevant to what we're talking about. Um, like the fake nostalgia. Honestly, like old Instagram, like the icon that they had that was like the Polaroid camera. Yeah. Ugh, that was just such a vibe. But yeah, posting photos now is like really fucking insane. But honestly, like doing presets is how a lot of family vloggers and like van life people make money. That's how a lot mm-hmm. of them make money. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The Mormons. I think also that not to bring up Brandy Melville, but I do think Brandy Melville may have been a causative thing here because I feel the this in-store experience is quite important there. Like obviously you can order from Brandy, but everyone has some sort of like in-store Brandy experience. I think I kind of got girls to go to 
romanticize the story in a, in a way. It's true. Well, it's also the branding of Victoria's Secret where it is like a really strong in-store experience as well. Mm-hmm. Like they have like set pieces and like it's like going walking onto like a stage, it's you know? It's so good. It literally yeah. feels like you're and also like It's like a circus tent or something. It so is. It's it's a and also tent. I see that's one of my I think crucial core memories is like going to Victoria's Secret as a kid and then seeing these boyfriends walking around with their girlfriends and they're like, because this was at a time when guys would literally get off to like a Victoria's Secret catalog, which I don't think really happens anymore. But at this <laughs> point it was like going in there, you were stepping into, I don't even know what, taking your mans in there was some sort of like test. I don't know what the test was. It was. I don't know if they were passing it, but it was a test. Like there's all, it's like plastered with Arjuna Lima and like the fantasy bra. Oh, the fantasy, the fantasy bra. That was like a bra. crime. Like no one needs to pad their bras that much. It never looks good. That, the fantasy bra is the bra they make for the Victoria's Secret fashion show. The, uh, the, the angel of the year. Yeah. And it's always made of like diamonds. That one. Okay. I'm thinking of the bombshell bra. Yeah, oh so my God. The bombshell bra. I feel like the bombshell bra is like the reason why teen pregnancy <laughs> was like on the rise. <laughs> no time. i actually could agree with that i uh, this aesthetic actually is very associated with teen pregnancy at a um, point it really is that's so true well it is like oh god remember the the what is that girl shailene woodley's pregnancy tv show oh the, the secret, secret life of the american, american TV that was peak of this yes. time um teen yeah. what was like the, is it just teen mom yeah teen mom, teen mom 16, 16 and pregnant, and pregnant. yeah it really felt like that was a peak in teenage pregnancy. But like, I think it was just because everyone, we need to like, I we need to like think it was. investigate this. Cause it felt, I knew Boys so many. started to be porn addicted because I think like the effect of internet porn. Yeah. I knew a lot of teen moms. I was like, I was a godmother in high school. That's really um, crazy. Are you still a godmother? They did, they kicked you out. I mean, they kicked me yeah, out. They fired they, you. They renounced my title. Um, did they actually? No, no, I still talk to her. It's just we're not as close. She probably shouldn't have assigned me that title when we were like 17, but. Well, you accepted yeah. it. I, do, I mean, yeah. like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it know? is really cool. Okay, I feel like we should we should do our wrap-up questions now. Oh, wait, um, wait, I have one, but I didn't write it down. But it's probably the same one that you have. I forgot we're doing that. I, I never have them prepared. Well, okay, my question for you guys is, what's your favorite store in the mall? Oh, God, I was going to ask that. Fuck. We're so well, creative, babe. We're so creative. <laughs> you just like me. Yeah, like where or we shop now or where we used to. Whatever makes you have the strongest visceral reaction, like I need it. Um, my favorite store at the mall was J. Crew. I have personal interests there. And also when I worked at a restaurant, my mom bought me a dress there and I was a hostess and it looks really good. And that was not that long ago. And then if there's a store that I feel like some stores are more like seductifying to me, like I wouldn't even go into them, but I would be like intrigued by them. And that would be stores called things like icing and such. Like, icing, yeah. Yeah. Like that's a part of Claire's. It is, yeah. but it's like, it's like the off branch of Claire's though. It's like mm-hmm. not Claire's. I also used to love this store called, I think it was called Brookstone or that's Brook- what I was gonna say. Wait, oh, take it away. I'll let I'll let you give the bio, Alexi. The bio on Brookstone is that it basically has the vibes of like Sky Mall, where it's like a lot of gadgety dad gifts. You can sit in a really expensive massage chair. Like for some reason, everything in the store is like Bluetooth equipped, and it has a very somber, Hecky. vibe. You can buy like whiskey rocks, like the rocks that you freeze and stuff. Mm. Um, but I would just sit in the massage chair and just be like vibing out so hard like on a bluetooth keyboard and then I'd be like okay cool like I have $20 I can't really do anything I have a confession which is that for one of my birthdays or Christmas or something my parents bought me like 
this orb ecosystem from Brookstone that had like oh krill in it and like algae and like aquatic life. And I let my krill die. No, it's okay. I didn't do it on purpose, yeah. but they were literally in this like hermetically sealed orb. I couldn't like there's yeah. nothing I could do. They had to like take care of themselves. Yeah, it was like it was almost like a paperweight. But that's kind wa- of like a sea monkeys, like fancy sea monkeys. Though. It was it was yeah. extremely fancy sea monkeys, but then probably really expensive. <laughs> and they, I had a funeral for them. I'm glad you at least did that. Yeah, celebrate yeah. life. I did celebrate um, their lives. One's name was Plankton, obviously. I don't remember the other one's name. Wait, my my second, which I just remembered, is Francesca's. No, <gasps> not Francesca. Really I was like so boho chic that I really oh liked Francesca's, but I feel like a- after a certain point, I stopped aligning with it because like I was riding on the high of a few cute purchases that I'd gotten there and then like kept on going back and then being like, this place turned really Christian and like busted. It did. It did. You used to have stuff that was kind of sexy and like free people-y, but yeah, then, you're like, right. it kind of fell off. It also had the vibe of like a fake Tuscan kitchen. I would. I feel like the I font would... was in papyrus and stuff. It was in papyrus. Papyrus. day. Yeah. I, I I didn't grow up in a place with cool stores at the mall though. So like the cool mm-hmm. store you probably the had mall was mall was nice. What are you talking about? Don't talk to my town. Sorry. Oh uh, no no it it was a nice mall, but like it wasn't like I mean like some sort of malls have like free people and like H and M and like we didn't have a Forever Twenty One until like twenty fourteen or something. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we were the same way. It was it was, like, it was literally such a blessed day. Like I was so happy. Yeah, that was the same with us. I remember whenever we got the Forever Twenty One. Yeah, it was, was my favorite store. That's probably still like actually my favorite store at the mall. Well, actually, recently it's just gotten too memey and like Y two K and like I just can't even go in there for basics. Like I just go to H and M now, which is already also kind of like shitty quality oh okay well i was just gonna say also i actually really like department stores mm-hmm. there's a couple southern ones i believe i believe the two south main southern ones are like dillard's and belks but am i right guys that those are the southern ones yeah yeah Belk is so weird. it's really weird but you i can get free people at belk yeah you can get free people mm-hmm. there um they have pretty good shoe selection i would say relative to like mm-hmm. having to go to like the aldo or something well is it is it Nordstrom or Dillard's that has Top Shop in it. I think that's Nordstrom. Oh, I guess they're like pop-ups now. Yeah, it's like a it's like a weird little like section on the floor that has Top wow. Shop in it. Yeah, this country awesome. used to be great. I know. Like Top Shop was everything. It yeah, was. it was yeah. really British too. That was like Anglo. Anglo, like I remember. Yeah. Yep, wearing creepers was very British. Uh, it was. They literally come from the UK. That's why. But yeah. Um, Sam, what was your favorite store? I feel like we probably just said all of them. Um, no, I mean, honestly, like, it would have to be my, from my trip, like, a few days ago, I went into Abercrombie & Fitch, which used to be my favorite store in there, and I went in there, and I wanted everything in there. Mm-hmm. It was, like, so good. Like, they really, I hadn't thought about that store in so long, but, like, I went back in, and their merchandising was, oh, it was so good. Like, it felt like it was specifically tailored to me, so I think I'm going to start shopping there again. They did, like, a full That's rebrand, fine. and to my knowledge, it's been very successful. And even, like, millennials, like, shopping there now, it's not, like, a teen mm-hmm. place anymore. No. Which I-, I bought stuff from Hollister recently, and it was Ooh. pretty nice. Hollister also kind of did that with, like, the D'Amelios a bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that was very like I like I had kind of like a tomboy American Eagle thing going on when I shopped at the mall before I started cringe thrifting. American Eagle is not 
that bad mm -hmm. either these days there's a lot to you know what guys just go to the mall check it out for yourself it's so neutral that it can't be bad those they brands really like, are can't. very addison ray's mm -hmm. old style like it's like just crop tops and like jeans that are like flattering and i think now because knits are so in people are like there's some cute knits that are coming into stores like this it's true um i have a question for you guys please go ahead Docs your mall order. Like, what do you get at the food court? Chick fil A, obviously. Yeah. Um, Rancid. Excuse me. <laughs> I love Chick fil A, but I, I love mall Chinese food. Oh, yeah. The samples they give you. They're, they're so like, good. You're literally God. so mean, Sam. No, 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 no. I like that too. Yeah. I liked my mall was called Sarku Japan. Yeah, we had the same one. Yeah. Yeah. We did too. Yeah. Sarku Japan. They always give you some like syrupy meat in like a tiny cup, and you're like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got to be honest. I think getting Chick Fil A at the mall is like a bit of a cop out because Chick Fil A you can get like at the restaurant but like there's these places that we all know like this doesn't exist outside of the mall like it's literally a liminal space like saraku japan yes borrow yeah, there's like a philly cheesesteak place that's in a lot of malls yeah so my preference is definitely going to mall specific places and then also i also like the great american cookie Ooh, yeah they had like that um yeah. cookie sandwich thing where it's just like a thick layer of frosting between yeah. two m&m cookies it's called a chip witch they made my um my drake cookie cake that i think i've brought up before, yeah I've but seen i'll it. always <laughs> be indebted to them for that um yeah i kind of i don't really like juice i feel like they're like are always not jamba juice but they're like similar kind of there's places. always yeah my it's like orange julius orange julius yeah yeah oh. who is julius a man gonna... named julius would he go to the mall is it like a play on orange juice like orange juice there, it's like a drink oh. isn't it or like some sort of dish it's not a dish <laughs> um it's like a baked alaska in my my head. my mall hatred is cinnabons i hate those i don't i'm not a fan either yeah i don't like pretzels um, i could never be like i know i'm mentally obese i hate pretzels mm -hmm. like auntie ends oh yeah. my god i i kind I of like them. when you get the mini pretzels and then you get the sweet ones and the salty ones because you can kind of like nibble at them more so but when you have a big honker in your hand it's, oh, it's just it, so like it's like oh. a big responsibility because i feel that they're <laughs> they're too dry yeah yeah there's no like there's not a lot of di can you get there's, dipping sauce at auntie yes Ant yeah you get you mustard it's fucking gross oh. you can also get cheese okay oh, that's yeah. more palatable yeah yeah i had cinnamon sugared pretzel bites at amc theaters recently and they were so bad really sometimes they're stale that's true mm um they were mad hard and they were causing they were like really loud in my <laughs> during my lily rose death mumble core movie that i was watching like everyone the two other people that were in the theater were like turning and looking at me trying to like bite through this and break i was jaw. supposed like, to be there but i didn't go um i any other mall questions ladies i mean we have to shout out like emo bitches at the mall yeah oh, for real like the the raw girls like... oh i have a question did y'all ever go yeah. through a little emo phase like a little mini one where y'all listen to like bring me the horizon or something or like or is it just i can't honestly I... like no but i did like to go into hot topic during my twilight phase and like my studio ghibli phase and hot topic kind of while i was growing up had a shift into like 
anime. Mm-hmm. And like Funko Pops kind of vibe. But in a weird way, I did really like The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It became like a general fan. General store. store. <laughs> they sell K-pop <laughs> general stuff. General store. They sell K-pop <laughs> stuff at Hot Topic now. They literally Yeah, I think do. I've seen it. They have those posters of K-pop yeah. stars. Yeah. Um, or like cutouts, I mean. Mm-hmm. I actually was thinking of this really heavily because I, you guys know, this, like I wasn't really allowed to participate in things like this as a child, like this type of music or horror movies or just like anything that could be construed as satanic. I wasn't allowed to like at all participate in. Yeah. And my version of an emo phase would be like I had this like multicolored zebra zip up hoodie, and then I had like purple converse that I would write on okay that's like that's in skinny jeans that's an emo phase it wasn't a real emo phase though because I was still like mad preppy but like somehow I would like put those things together but I for me I feel the lack of media that I had was like what really kept like I couldn't have an emo phase because it was so dependent on the music and stuff like that yeah so Sam why don't tell us about your emo phase my emo face. I was like, I was still to this day like a big fan of Never Shot Never. I was like into like twee emo shit, like ukulele emo. Yeah, indie emo, like boys who wear like Davy Crockett raccoon hats. This weekend I bought like like a raccoon tail keychain. But now I think people are gonna think it's like weird and horny because it's like, I don't know, also associated with like it's on some furry shit. Yeah. Maybe that's why Trisha... No, it definitely is horny yeah. at this time. Yeah. Trisha Paytas really gives me mallcore vibes because of her like post-emo kid sensibilities mm-hmm. on top of her like bimbofication, like Starbucks mm-hmm. sensibilities. Like she really is just, like a middle class person that like really came up on a ton of money the way that she like, oh, buys true. stuff. Like she thinks rhinestones are like yeah. really nice. Yeah. But she has enough money where she could like get that and have it actually be diamonds, which is insane. Queen. Um I think my emo phase, I was it was also very Disney emo. Like I was maybe ten years old and I was I don't know, like Zendaya's Shake It Up vibe, which was bordering on that like twenty twelve like Swagapino snapback cookie monster hat. <laughs> like this Swagapino. That was Tumblr. They ruled Tumblr for so long. Yeah, and they always had ukuleles too. They were kind of like a little indie. That's in that true. Yeah, yeah, they were. Disney definitely gentrified being emo. They really did. The neon colors. It was more scene, I guess. They gentrified like scene. Eclecticism. Keep forgetting the word scene exists. Mm-hmm. And also Selena Gomez's band was called Selena Gomez in the scene because people were like, Selena, you're trying to be seen. She was like, okay wait is that true <laughs> yeah because do you not remember this like there was a her whole like her and demi had their like bangs that, like went across their faces and they would make like youtube videos and that kind of like that is so true just i guess was something she dabbled in for a while yeah. i didn't have side bangs um, so bad but i had curly hair and it was just yes so <laughs> i i did the i did the whole like not side bangs but i did have a deep mm-hmm. side part um, I, I did have like a straight hair straightener phase, but that is just like so deep. That's, That's kind so... of this aesthetic, yeah. Like having really, really straight it hair. Is. It's very like quality blog, like DSLR photo of your pin straight hair from the back, and you're like holding up a radical Acacia sign. Friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess that's basically all we have to say today. Did I already say anything about the arcades project? I don't know if I didn't. Like... No, we said nothing. Let's just say okay. Let's just say it now because we can be like. Oh, by the way, a really foundational text yeah, yeah, in yeah. mall theory. Um, so by the way, guys, we're going to leave a link to a PDF in the notes for Walter Benjamin's The Arcades Project, which is like, I don't know, a dose of cultural theory. Walter Benjamin is really obsessed with these like covered passages in Paris that were the precursors to today's shopping malls. And he has a lot of epic thoughts about like, I don't know, consumer psychology and public space. Um, 
That's our offering mm -hmm. to you, our academic <laughs> text. We think you guys will really enjoy reading it if you yeah. feel up to it. Start on page 18. <laughs> yeah, page 18. Lucky number. Uh, so guys, thanks for joining this roundtable. Yeah, this see week. you at the mall. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yeah, tell us what's on your Christmas list. Christmas like, list. Nick alumni is hiring a mall Santa to <laughs> deliver all of your presents. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I agree. We will personally buy you guys all your Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. And the mall Santa will deliver them so you don't even know they come from us so you won't be creeped out. And we're going to Christmas carol on your doorstep, but we're only going to sing Ariana Grande's like Santa the <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're also going to get like ab etching beforehand so that we're, like, we're going to get better. I feel like we totally didn't talk about the Christmas part of all of this. Like, Oh wait, let's oh, just yeah. do it It's like pink and white Christmas, whatever. You know what it looks like. Yeah. Pink and white Christmas. There's a really good Ariana Grande music video that's very exemplary of this. It's like flurries of fake snow as opposed to the Russian bimbo core thing. It's like Siberian death. The, the snow is like sprinkles. Like The snow is like sprinkles on the cupcake. It's like you have your, you have your hands in front of your face and you're blowing snow. Yes. Yeah. It's much more like a snow globe aesthetic than any actual touch with mm -hmm. the elements. Nature is not evolved. Yeah. And... Yeah. Hot chalky. Hot chalky. Yeah, having mm -hmm. your hands around a warm mug. Yeah. Hot chalky. Marshmallows on the chalky. Wearing that kind of fuck, what is that? Like fake Nordic, like knit pattern pajamas on Christmas yeah, morning. Yeah, with the reindeer. Oh on my them. god. It's what like reindeer, is that? Yeah. Tribal reindeer. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's like tribal reindeer. It's literally probably like an indigenous print that it they're probably like, is, but I, it's I, ours I do now. think it's Nordic. It's like some sort of like Nordic. It gives me, yeah, it gives me like frozen vibes. Yeah. And yeah. it looks like it would have like a snowflake coated into it. Yeah. Coated. I like that. <laughs> it's very, well, it's very like runes. Like yeah. it's definitely adjacent to like Nordic runes, Pagan I believe. tribal prints. Those are sort of like when Frozen came I feel like oh, there yeah. was a big like Nordic sleigh oh, yeah. moment. There was the Nordic sleigh, but it was like the worst Nordic sleigh because it went straight into cosplay. So like they weren't yeah. actually taking any of the elements that were aesthetically inspiring from the movie. They were like, what if I put in an Elsa wig? Yeah. You know, the type of vibe. Um, I think that movie gave me the worst dysmorphia of my life, which is that I think I look like Olaf the Snowman. That's like the funniest yeah. thing you ever say to me. You say it all the Girl, time. Girl, you are you, you don't look like him. I don't think that you look like I don't know where you're getting these comparisons from. Like you're really confusing me. No, I get that. I have my own, which is like I look in the mirror and I literally see old. No. I also think I think I look like Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> so like I think we all have Not these true. like that's what I mean. But yeah. we all have our spirit animal of sorts. <laughs> it's like our body dysmorphia. Yeah. Like like sleep paralysis demon. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um Okay, well, we hope that you guys have a really beautiful holiday mm -hmm. season. Um, and maybe you guys can indulge in some of these consumer patterns we laid out. They might actually make you feel good. Maybe they won't, but it's worth a, a shot to get some the, hot chocolate. The desserts mm -hmm. definitely will. The desserts will. Like, eat all the desserts. And make Christmas cookies for your family. Yeah. Make Christmas cookies for your family and also experiment with hot chocolate this winter. Mm -hmm. Add a little cinnamon. I won't do that. But Nutmeg. I'll do it. She'll do that. I won't do that. Whipped yeah. cream with the whipped cream, even like chocolate chips. <laughs> <With cream. laughs> you could even add whipped cream. Uh, A drizzle of condensed milk. <laughs> drizzle of condensed milk. Caramel. Yeah. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Hot chocolate sounds good. Wait, I feel like honestly, I think our listeners will have these though. Duncan, the Duncan app just released like a Duncan wrapped 
and I want to see all of your I don't Dunkin' Wraps putting in like a Spotify wrap. Yeah, like it tells you how many drinks you ordered and like what day of the uh, week you. I wish I was northeastern. Yeah, I wish I was um, from Massachusetts. Donkeys. I have to go send an important email. If you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to wrap it up, you guys are all on our nice list. Except yeah. if you ever left us a mean review or said something mean about us. Yeah. Even then, it's called The Power of Love, One Love, etc. And like to me, you're just a beautiful, fragile snowflake. And I'm that as well. So maybe we should stop trying to like melt each other down. Yeah. Yeah, we're fostering know. kumbaya vibes. Yeah. yeah tell me. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Excuse me? <laughs> I'm going to sing the outro. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was lucky good. That was, yeah, she was like, like, she's like a good singer. We were walking on the street the other true. night. She started singing, and I was like, oh my god, you're kind of good. She was like, wait, really? And I was like, yeah. You're like, when was I singing? You were singing on the street. Was I singing 16 Miss Calls? Yes, you were actually singing 16 Miss Calls. Yeah. Dang. Um, Speaking of that, wait, we can stop recording. Okay, bye everyone, but I have something okay, to Okay, bye. Okay, okay, I'm gonna stop. Wait, bye. <laughs>